to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast. We are live from the DNVR bar. Actually, usually we're upstairs. We're actually in the bar today. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Thank you for being with us today. You know, I, we're in the middle of off-season, about as deep as you get, so I thought it would be a good day to, to reminisce, to look back a little bit, not just about this last year or about the cup win a year, a little over a year ago, but our experiences with the Avalanche as a whole, memories we've had, times we've spent, all of those things. So I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit to start us off. Because when I ask a favorite all-time memory, I have to exclude the cup wins because everyone would just answer that as, as what it is. But favorite all-time memory that isn't a cup win from the Colorado Avalanche, Megan. I can go first if you want to think about it a little bit. I want yours to go first because I think mine's a little unconventional. It's not a moment in gameplay. Okay, interesting. Uh, my favorite all-time moment that it does not include a cup win is Peter Forsberg's return after his spleen injury when the Avs won the cup in 2001. Obviously, losing Peter Forsberg was super depressing, but in the playoffs the next year, he came back. His game wasn't even that impressive, but I just love Peter Forsberg so much that his return, I was like, I was convinced the Avs were going to win the cup with Forsberg and, and they were going to do the whole thing and go all the way. Obviously, it didn't work out. But for me as a kid, I was just so hyped that he was back. And then obviously the next season, he goes and has an MVP caliber season and is the best version of Peter Forsberg that we basically ever got to see. So you could name a hundred other moments of Peter Forsberg that'd be like, oh, I love that. That was one of my favorite memories. But that was the one that I think stood out to me the most of when I started to realize how much I loved Forsberg and Avalanche hockey. Because at that point, I would have been 10. So old enough to start realizing the world around me. Not like understanding it, but enough to know that I was enjoying hockey at least. I think the Forsberg re-retirement that came about later sure. is when I knew how much of an emotional hold the sport had on me because I was in high school when that happened and this is shortly following the Valentine's Day game yep. that was incredibly heartbreaking by itself <laughs> and I was going to a counselor to help get a little more confident and build up my self-esteem and she would talk to me about abs hockey because she knew I loved it so much and I cried a little bit over Peter Forsberg <laughs> to my high school counselor because it was really challenging to see the injury still trouble him at that point in time and things were just not going to work out moving forward. But my favorite abs memory from the last decade is relative to Semyon Varlamov. And it's not okay. a game moment, but it's sort of where the goalie thing was born, at least <laughs> reputation-wise, because I've always been a defenseman person, and I don't know if people really know that about me. You, you have the goalie reputation now, for sure. The goalie reputation definitely was born here, too. It was, I don't remember which specific season it was, but the Avs were hosting a hockey and heels event. And this was when the team was going through a particularly rough skid and I remember talking to my mom and dad who came with me to this Hockey and Heels event. The team was on the road so we were watching it just here in Colorado with other fans and I was explaining to her that I worried about Varley and the pressure of taking on some of the hard losses himself because of how badly things were going for the team and my mom 
she had had a procedure that morning, so she still had a little bit of, I think, like the anesthesia in her system. <laughs> Could barely move and her mouth. Later in that evening, she was looking at me like, we have to call Varley. We have to tell him <laughs> not to be sad. And she was looking to me very urgently to like go into my phone and As call if you Varley had his number. and give him this pep talk. And I really wished things had gone differently for him in Colorado. But I think when we unveil our top five list, there are some Varley memories during that rough part of the last decade. Definitely. That stand out as really positive and the start of really excellent goaltending in Colorado, too, and a trend that would continue then in the Grubauer, Kempers, and now Georgiev. It's, the goaltending story in Colorado is funny, right? Because you started out with technically nothing, but two months into the first year of their existence, you got the arguably greatest goalie of all time. The first eight years of their existence, it was him, full stop, as the starting goaltender, not even a second thought about it. And then from 2004 to, honestly, until Varlamov showed up, it was just a mess of random guys in that, hoping that the next guy could be the good, the, the one that solves the issue. And Varlamov was the first one that you really felt confident in solving it. Now injuries unfortunately kind of toppled that a little bit but when he was healthy Varley was the best goaltender since Wah that the Avs had and his, his his story is really weird in, in Avalanche history I do think he's probably underappreciated a bit obviously because the Avs moved on to Grubauer moved on to Kemper who they win a cup with after that so I do think it is a good call out for Varley. I'm glad that you brought him up as one of your memories because I hate to break it to you, he's not in any of my, my top five. He's the 2013-2014 season. There is one well, okay, re so related to that. I, should, I only picked one per year oh, of okay. my top five because otherwise it would have been like four moments from 2022. Well, so I limited I, myself a I little bit. I kind of grouped things together in that 2013-2014 season, one being... Varley's performance that year individually was very impressive. Oh, certainly deserving of praise. Um, I, I'm assuming it's not the best season in Avs history, but I don't. I would have to look. I don't know the statistics off the top of my head of Patrick Waugh's actual numbers year to year in Colorado, but I would guess that it, it, certainly Varley's season should be top five, if not top three, all-time statistically. I get mechanically they lost in the first round that year, but... It, it did unseat some kind of franchise record. I don't remember specifically what it was and if it's since been toppled from Georgiev last year. Yeah, I But it was definitely an impressive one that stood out in franchise history. I, I see you've got a whole list of, of things it's over It's not there. even five. I just wanted to make sure I would recall some of these moments if you happen to bring them up, too. I, you go off if you've got one or two, because I well, just shoot from the top of my these head. These are all over the place. I didn't the, put them in any sort there of is, chronological There's going to be no order to this show. I can promise you that. Well, do we have, like, a proper graphic for the top five segment? We do. I, okay. I will warn you if you bring one up that is in the top five. Okay. Wow, these are all over the place, because some of them are related to accomplishments, like grouped together, Landeskog and McKinnon winning Calder in 2012-2014, respectively. Yeah. I, I, I actually want to talk more about this in general. It's not in the top five, but 
the Avs have a pretty storied history of people winning the call, especially if you go back to Quebec, where Forsberg won it in Quebec. And then you have Drury here in Colorado, you have Landis Gog, you have McKinnon, you have McCarr. They're pretty good at, at churning out top-tier rookies. And I get that, you know, some of those are different generations and all of that. Is, uh, let me ask you this one. Which Calder is your favorite? I'm assuming you're probably too young for Drury's. Yes. But you have Landy's, you have McKinnon's, you have McCars. It's really hard to pick between Landy and McCars in my eyes. Obviously, all three of those stand out as important, but the significance Landeskog's holds just in the turning point for the organization, being named captain yeah. as the youngest captain, are, have been really formative and have solidified that turning point in Avalanche history. But the McCarr trajectory from that point has been so special to watch and just continues to be so special. It's hard to pick between the two, but there is something exciting about the breath of hope that Landis Gog represented for the organization at that time when he was the one to win Calder. It's, it's weird to me because I, I really actually consider that point with Landis Gog, him getting name capped in the following year. And look, don't get me wrong. I love Milan Hayduk. Amazing guy, amazing hockey player, all about him. Loved him when he was on the show. Not a captain. And, and I know he literally is a captain. He did captain Colorado for that one year. But he is much more the quiet guy, lets his game show on the ice, right. leads by example type. When it comes to vocal leadership, he's not the guy. And Landis Cog absolutely is that guy in every stretch of the imagination. He is... I just. To say he's the best captain since Joe Sackick is like a stupid statement because obviously, not, that, not knocking Adam Foote or any of the other ones either, but Sackick and, and Landis Cog have just clearly separated themselves as captains of this organization. But it goes further than that. It's not just this organization. I think a lot of teams look to Landis Cog as the prime example of an NHL captain in the way not just he plays the right way, yada, yada, all that stuff, but he's the guy in the locker room who's always in front of the cameras. He's the guy who's always sticking up for his teammates. He's the guy who Kale McCarr has to actively tell to stop praising him when he's in the media scrum. And what, what makes Landy so special, I guess, is the question. It's a lot of things. One of which being the fact that the leadership qualities are embedded in his DNA to have had those in him so young are not the types of things that can easily be taught. A lot of players step into the leadership role yeah. and Landy was pretty ready-made with it. And the other part of it is the way that he's been described as an extension of a coach or another coach. The ability he has to not only read the game so well, but also the players playing alongside him gives him such a greater understanding of what it means to be a team and then what it means to oversee a team and recognize what a team's needs are. And he's been able from such a young age, which is impressive by itself, to pinpoint what those needs are and vocalize it in the locker room. He's great at connecting with his teammates. It's shown in the lifelong friendships that have been established here in Colorado, like between him and Eric Johnson. Those are just two people who are going to be forever connected. And a lot of that is just 
who Landeskog is as a person and his ability to connect with other people, all of it put together makes him an unbelievable captain. And it's really hard to come by all of those things in one person. Yeah, I, I couldn't be that guy. I'll tell you that much right now. I, it, it amazes me every day. Uh, I would, if I was ever in, in a situation like that, I feel like I would be much more of a Nathan McKinnon when it comes to talking to the media. Uh, not to take anything away from Mac, but he's a little bit more honest, maybe, with his emotions in front of the camera. Very curt after a loss at times, perhaps. Much more interested in, in dealing with being on the ice and playing the game. Not that Landis Cog isn't, but he just has charisma, the, just the ability to be that guy in front of the camera that always has the right thing to say, always knows what the thing to do, not just to be correct in front of the camera, but how to pick up his team, how to keep them moving forward in the right direction. Yeah, he's a lot more tactful in that sense because we've seen him be honest when he feels the situation demands it, like with Nas and Kadri and the feelings about the face-offs. Yeah, no. I was really appreciative to see him take that stance when he recognized his teammate needed it and it was worth talking about. Yep. But he can hold his tongue too. And absolutely. the thing is, he's far from being an emotionalist player. The emotions all. absolutely yeah. are all over the ice, every shift that you see him play. And, and so it's just amazing the way he is able to reconcile being mature and tactful, but also not holding back when the situation requires it. Okay. Let's move on to the next one. I've been, I've very often on this show said my favorite player of all time is Peter Forsberg. I'm taking him off the board. And it's changed now. There are a lot of players on the team currently that I would say are probably in my top five favorite players of all time. But there's a long time in my history where my favorite players were Matt Duchesne and Ryan O'Reilly. And... I'll start with O'Reilly because I think it's a little bit of an easier conversation to have. The thing for me is, Megan, before you were doing this professionally, did you go to a lot of Avalanche games in person? Yes, because when the team was doing poorly, tickets were very affordable. Yep. <laughs> so I would save up my babysitting money, and the minute I got a license, the world opened up for me. I would go to games by myself. I would get a single ticket. And I would go by myself as often as I could. Yeah, I, so oh, I forget what year it was. It must have been at least 2014. It might have been 2015. <laughs> Went to a game, one of my favorite all-time memories of being at a game as a fan. New Year's Eve, the Avs are playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. Game goes to overtime. Ryan O'Reilly scores the game winner with like six seconds left or something. There is genuinely nothing like being in a home fan building for an overtime win. It's one of the coolest experiences in the world, beyond sports. It's just amazing to feel that energy in a building like that. So I, I am curious, um, you don't get to use your professional life. I'm, I'm cutting off the, all the games you got to go to because you're working here. As a fan, what is your favorite game or, or moment that you got to experience? I want to say it was the Peter Forsberg 
if I'm thinking of this correctly, it was the home opener. Um, was it Forsberg's retirement? Where they they brought out like all the big names to help retire him. Yes. I think Tangay was there too. No, I, I think so. Because it was one I went to by myself, and I feel like they played the Red Wings. Does that sound familiar to I, you, or am I, I misremembering? I want to say Forsberg's retirement was on open night. I could not tell you who they played. I don't okay. know. Okay. Well, that would probably stand out <laughs> as high in one of them. I've never been to a retirement night. Never got to go to one. I, I think it's, yeah, it's the only one I was able to get to. <laughs> Obviously sad circumstances, but. Picked a, picked a good retirement. Uh, Hayduke's retirement game may be the best uh, result for Colorado, though. I believe they, they won that game 7-2 to against Minnesota, I think. That one was in the middle of the season, though. Definitely a bit weird. Uh, yeah, see, look, it was on opening night. All right. Yeah, it was. Okay, I just was really nervous. I was misremembering it, but I, I got really good seats in the lower bowl for it That's by, by myself. But, you know, you mentioned the atmosphere at what was Pepsi Center at the time. Yeah. And even though I was at a game alone, I never felt alone. That's, that's hockey fandom right there. Sums it up perfectly. I love, I love the way you put that. It's, have you ever been to an abs game at a different arena? No. You well, don't? hello, Mullet Arena, but uh, it was know. through work. It was through work. Yeah, yeah. I, I, obviously, you know, you went to all-star games and stuff, but technically not an half game. But yeah, so no, I haven't had the opportunity to do that. I've only been, as a fan, I went to Vegas as well, watched a game there. People aren't going to like this because they just won the cup, but the atmosphere in Ball Arena is better than T-Mobile Arena. Not that, and here's the thing. T-Mobile Arena's production is incredible. The Vegas arena, all the stuff they do, all the crazy Vegas nights, sore fighting, all that's amazing. All that's better than, than Ball Arena. But the fan base is better in Ball Arena for me than T-Mobile. It's the people that go to games in Colorado, when they show out, they show out. And I know there are a lot of teams that do travel well to Colorado. Every year, Chicago has tons and tons of fans in Ball Arena. But when the Avs fans pack that place... It's tough to beat. It can be a hostile atmosphere. Like, I went to a game with a Minnesota Wild fan once, and it was a tough light rail ride home together because <laughs> we were surrounded by Avs fans, yeah, and she was getting targeted. <laughs> I believe it. I 100% uh, I believe that, top to bottom. Uh, the other side of this is, and, and I, I will bring this up very briefly, and then we'll move on. If you ever want to see how rabid Colorado is about hockey, go to a Colorado Eagles game. People are crazy in that building. I, I Probably one of the loudest buildings I've ever been in in my life is going and covering the Colorado Eagles playoff runs when they were in the ECHL. It was crazy. <laughs> it's such an exciting part of hockey in Colorado because of the obvious passion that exists beyond just the avalanche to see that excitement at the American League level that has now forced them to expand a yep. little bit in arena yep. because they continue to sell out. There's a reason they won best home fan experience and it is because the cowbells are electric and I have heard from players who have played in Colorado have just come through Colorado that 
there just isn't another atmosphere like it. And to have that sort of trickle-down effect in the fan base for the American League team yeah. is something that I take a lot of pride in. Don't sleep on Colorado. Don't That's sleep on I'm Colorado saying. hockey. Like, there's 3D1 teams, and all teams coming. It's fun. I will refrain from saying anything about the, uh, the junior teams in Colorado at this moment. There's a great AAA team. I don't know if you guys have heard about the Colorado Thunderbirds. <laughs> on that note, we have more than just great hockey here in Colorado. How about some great alcohol from Breckenridge Distillery? They have uh, bourbon whiskey that has won like a dozen awards. I, I lose count. There's so many years where they win the best whiskey award. You got to go check it out. And specifically right now, they got a couple of things going on. First, they have the Battle of the Broncos blends. They got two different blends of bourbon, one Ed McCaffrey, one Alfred Williams. They can go vote on and win Breckenridge Distillery swag, as well as you can win two tickets to the Breckenridge Bourbon Whiskey Suite for the New Year's Eve game, Broncos versus Chargers. You got to go to BreckenridgeDistillery.com slash Bourbon of Denver Broncos today to get in to vote on which whiskey you think is better for your chance to win. Jump on that. Get in there. Look, alcohol is going to taste better when you're in a suite at a Broncos game. It's just the truth. So you can also tag hashtag Broncos Bourbon on Instagram to, for your chance to win some other fantastic prizes as well. Uh, go in on that. Use IG, tag Broncos Bourbon. Uh, post your favorite Broncos photos that you have. They will narrow down everything on a December 1st, and then they will take their 10 favorites and have a fan vote on those. Same place to enter. Go to BreckenridgeDistillery.com slash Bourbon of Denver Broncos to get your Instagram posts in. Go check it out. Bunch of amazing stuff. They're known as the highest brewery in the country. Breckenridge Distillery. You can get them at your local liquor store anywhere in the United States. Check them out. BreckenridgeDistillery.com. And you can even order it if you're in a state that allows you to order alcohol, which I found out all of them don't. So some of them can. But I'm glad Colorado does. I'll leave it at that. Also brought to you by the folks over at Shady Rays. Make sure you go get yours. So when you're coming home on New Year's Day after spending time in the Broncos suite, put those on so people can't tell you're hungover because we all know you're hungover after that <laughs> night. Let's face it. Uh, they're also great at, you know, actually protecting your eyes from the sun, which is what they're supposed to be used for. So go check them out at ShadyRays.com. Use code DNVR when you purchase two pairs or more, and you get 50% off your entire order. Jump on that today. And, yeah, they're great. Over 250,000 people have rated them five stars. Their return policy is 30 days. Lose them, break them, don't like them. They'll replace them for free. So they know what they're doing. ShadyRays.com. Go get your sunglasses with the DNVR code today. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Not going to jump around it anymore. Let's get into our top five presented by Bet365. These are my top five moments of the McKinnon era, and I limited myself to one per year. So there are going to be some that should be on the list that aren't. We'll talk about them. We'll get there. Relax. We're going through the top five one per year first. Number five, the very early days of the McKinnon era, I picked the Game 5 win over Minnesota in the 2014 playoffs. This is the one that McKinnon had the game winner in overtime. I picked this one because this was the first moment for me that was like, oh, the Avs might actually have a killer in Nathan McKinnon. He might actually be that guy. 
and obviously it took a few years to to really get there with McKinnon for everything to fall into place but this was the first time in the playoffs for a long time where I actually had hope for the Colorado Avalanche. The the previous time they'd gone to the playoffs was the first year of Joe Sackick's tenure, or Joe Sacco's tenure, excuse me. Uh, and there was no hope in those playoffs. It was just waiting for them to get drubbed by the Sharks. I know you talked about Landeskog as the turning point. This one felt like what I thought was going to be the turning point. And, you know, we know today it took 16-17 for it to really be the turning point. But this was the, as, as a kid who was in college at this point, this year was like, all right, I'm all the way back in on the Colorado Avalanche at this point. I, for you, I, when did you first start really watching, like, that you can remember? 2008. Okay, so, so you got the Joe Sacco experience for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was the butt of many jokes. <laughs> tough, uh, I, I, I say tough times, but it's not like the Patrick Waugh years were much better, if at all better. So A lot of highs and lows in the, the Patrick Waugh times as a coach specifically. But I remember that series well because I was at DU and watching it with friends. And that was the feeling that was shared among us, is it was okay to get excited about the Colorado Avalanche, because prior to that, we were watching all kinds of hockey. I think the cutthroats had come through town yep. around just before that time, and we were watching some of the WJCs every winter, DU hockey, so we were getting our fill of hockey everywhere, but this was such a fun time to get excited about the Avs, because we'd go and watch the visiting teams practice at G JBA at times, so we were very much ingrained in the Avs at this time, and it was an exciting and also really bittersweet series because yeah. of some of the mischief. You can say Matt Cook. It's fine. <laughs> it was just dirty, right? And it's, so that's another testament to the emotions of hockey really getting yeah. at me, too, as I just felt for Tyson Berry. And it was another moment of highs and lows. Like It was great to see the Avs in that spot, though, because I hadn't seen them in that spot previously. Yeah, I guess, yeah, if you started falling in 2008, you, uh, you missed out on a lot of playoffs at that point. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know what that was. <laughs> uh, it's, and obviously, like, there are a ton of other things you could have picked from this year. Game one, Patrick Waugh knocking the boards down on Bruce Boudreau. Bruce Boudreau. Definitely was one I considered there. Uh, this, the series itself, for me, was the first series that truly endeared me to Eric Johnson as an Av. He has obviously the play going back, saving the goal that on the goal line with like seven seconds left or whatever it was. Um, really the first time that EJ stepped into the limelight uh, in Colorado for me, you know, obviously it was a workhorse for them for years and years and years. The hatred for Matt Cook was... In some ways, I almost feel like it was a lost opportunity because that rival really, really never quite came to fruition. But, but it did feel like it could have because I do remember then the matchups between these two teams for the seasons following were, they were always fiery. so contentious. Yeah. It was just a tough point for the Avs to be in because they were still solidifying parts of the identity that made them so competitive. Yeah, and. Uh, it, it took the worst for them to get there, 
but uh, they did eventually get there. We can move on to our number four, which I forget. I think I put... Okay, okay, yeah. I put this one... Because this one is a little bit weird. It doesn't really fit with the rest of this list. But this one felt like a, com a culmination of the success of this era. Obviously... I mean, look at Nate's face. Yeah, Look right. at his face in that picture. Exactly. And, and, like, for the record, this was an OT winning goal. Like, it was not just some random stupid 100th point. McKinnon on a breakaway in overtime to win a game to get his 100th point. Very cool. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, you guys know what number one on this list is. It's very easy to pick. This comes after that. This comes as a reward for Nathan McKinnon. How great he's been over the last half decade. Had never had that 100-point season. Finally gets it. Obviously, you could throw in Miko's 55 goals from last year, too. The playoffs didn't go the way they wanted. The regular season last year, I really think people don't give it enough respect for how impressive that regular season was. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's something to be scared of if I'm a team that has to play against mm -hmm. the Colorado Avalanche mm -hmm. because he misses 11 games, still makes it to 111 points on a season with a team depleted by injury. That's something to be fearful of going into next season. We saw the way the Vegas series invigorated the Avs going into the next year as a whole team, but you just know that's something that McKinnon is going to be motivated by next year. I, I can't see the future, but there is a part of me where if I'm sitting on that couch upstairs in February and Nathan McKinnon has 100 points in 60 games, I'll be like, yeah, no, I'm not surprised. This is, this adds up. And then even more scared of what comes next. <laughs> how much more does he have? Right, how many other levels exist for <laughs> Nathan McKinnon? Uh, it, it, well deserved. That one, probably more of a, a here you go, like a reward for everything he'd accomplished up to that point as much as anything. Number three, it would not surprise me if a lot of people have this one higher. I know this was a huge moment for, for a lot of people. Uh, game 82 in 2018, the, the Avs getting back to the playoffs. The first time this core, the true core that they have now, gets to the playoffs. It takes all 82 games. You're playing literal play-in. This is if the Avs lose, St. Louis got in. So this was essentially a playoff game for both teams. And I'm sure everyone that watched remembers the the dolphin dive from Miko into the pile. All of the greatness. Uh, an incredibly fun moment for me. Yeah, the atmosphere of a game seven with so much on the line, and I don't want to say it's the birthplace of some of the fun moments that now exist between St. Louis and the Avs and the history that kind has of been though. established between these two teams, but it is definitely an incredibly memorable one. Yeah, it, it, it's weird because memories are dumb and fuzzy and you only remember certain things, but for whatever reason, the part that I remember most about that game is Sam Gerrard scoring the, the first goal of the game. With like a clap bomb from the blue line, which is like Sam Gerrard doesn't do that. Like, what? This is the weirdest thing ever. But he scores the first goal. He like turns to, I don't know if it was EJ or like McKinnon was coming across the blue line, and he just like screams as loud as he can right in his face. And it was like, 
this is this is it. This is awesome. This is why I love hockey. I love to see what players can be become when the moment requires yeah. it, and that is a hilarious thing to see Sam Gerard become the guy who is just firing bombs from the blue line. Not not your usual when you think of Sam Gerard at all. No, it's sure. far too. It's not spitty enough. <laughs> He'd done a couple twirls I while mean, yeah, he was doing it. Exactly to finish it off. <laughs> Uh, number two, I, uh, this one encompasses a lot more than the moment itself, but Kale McCarr's debut against Calgary in the playoffs helps lift the Avs to go win that series. They dominate the game on like his third or fourth shift of the game. He scores a goal. Everything I said about the McKinnon game five OT win, same for the Kale McCarr debut, except for that was the first game of his career. <laughs> It, uh, I don't need to tell anyone how special Kale McCarr is, obviously. He's... Was it his first shot of the game, too? I think it was his first shot, I think shot. it was. Yeah. It's an incredibly memorable then first goal. And just the entirety of how they got to the playoffs that year. Yep. The being down to the wire. Game 81. Game 81 yeah. solidifies it for them. And then reinforcement is on the way in Kale McCarr after what could have been viewed as a disappointment in Loses dropping the to national the championship place. too yeah well yeah disappointment I, on his end but yeah. also like on the end, going back absolutely. to absolutely the yeah. draft lottery following the 48 point season it's like oh fourth kill car hope he's good lowest moments of this era <laughs> that's <Yeah>. it <laughs> well and then it's yeah. like well re let's reconsider then what that actually meant for the abs to get eventually rewarded with Kale McCarr in the end reinforcements on the way and it ends up being still an ultimately disappointing exit down the line in the second round but a gentleman's sweep against Calgary and with the help of a newly emerged Kale McCarr just I... was a breath of fresh air I don't even know if I'd say the second round exit was disappointing. I, obviously, in the moment to lose a game seven, absolutely disappointing. Absolutely. But for where the team was. It's a great point. And, and one of the, obviously, McCarr's going to take precedent, but one of the moments I considered was Landis Gog's game six overtime winner in that San Jose series, which, uh, you know, I, so many of those moments are. Do you remember where you were when they lost that game seven? Yeah. I do too. It was really disappointing. I think it was um, the Alpine Tavern Ingas. <laughs> I was with friends and we were all heartbroken together. I was in my apartment. Okay. That's at my computer, sadly clipping the end of the season. <laughs> uh, um, before we move on, this was actually my fun fact. This was like my re-entry into loving hockey. Amazing. And like I remember I was working at a bar uh, serving at the time and I was watching that game while I wasn't working and I just remember that watching that entire shift and just being turning to my friend that knew a lot more about hockey than I did at the time and was like I want to know more about this sport. I want to. I want to know more about this sport. Like that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. The emotional hook. We have. Uh, we have that in common. Back in this would have been 2013. I was working in a truck stop, which some of you may know, but regularly on the evening shifts, just sitting at the cashier, watching the TV with the abs on it in the corner, like not working at all. <laughs> Watching the hockey game instead, so it's, uh, it's part of being a hockey fan is not doing your job and watching hockey instead, I guess. 
the emotional hook it, it has on people comes for us all at some point. It's, uh, well, it's incredible how hockey has that. You can't look away. Any, any moment this game could explode, you don't know. It's not quite the same as a, a basketball or a football game where it's a little bit more methodical at times compared to hockey. Oh, yeah. I'd seen plenty of other live sports before I stumbled into hockey. And the minute I laid eyes on hockey, I was done You were done? Sam. <laughs> That's, that's your own fault. I blame yourself for that <laughs> no, one. No, it is. Uh, Kale's first goal is also what is leading in our poll in the chat right yeah, now. Yeah, what, what are the results of the, so, the poll? We'll just end it now because might as well. We know what number one's going to be. So Kale's first goal is at 58%. Oh, that's a lot. Uh, 2014 OT win is at 13. And then game 82 is at 29. Okay. That, that's the order I expected them to be in. I would put it that way. Uh, and then number one, I, I don't need to tell you guys, it's, it's the Stanley Cup, obviously. <laughs> the entirety of it. Yeah. Isn't it fun to think about how along the way there are some favorite avalanche memories and goals uh, scored on the road to the Cup? The, the next time we do this is going to be the top five moments of the 22 Cup run like, by I itself. Love, no, we have to because I didn't even put any of that in this list because I was focusing on kind of the dark years <laughs> leading up to this. <laughs> but the 2022 run deserves its own top ten list because, it, honestly, um, how much almost fairy tale like storylines emerge from that cup run so that I don't want to soon forget. It, 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 the finals alone, Berkey's game one overtime winner, uh, the Leckie's Stanley Cup winning goal, excuse me, um, pick a game where Kemper outduels Vasilevsky everyone and their mother scoring in game two against Tampa Bay. That's the final. Forget any round before that. Forget Kadri in St. Louis. <laughs> There's so many. Like, no, it's incredible. Kadri, too many men. <laughs> moment. Yep. The revenge hat trick in St. Louis. Darren Helm. Dad, to win the series. the Colorado yeah. Avalanche with the help of Eric Johnson. It was fun. It, it was unbelievably fun. And hopefully we get to do something similar again soon. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I, I can't see the future, but I feel good. I feel good about this year. We'll put it that way to you. Uh, that was our top five presented by Bet365. Get over there. You know the drill. Do what you got to do with them today. Use the DNBR365 code. All that good stuff. And also, go check out FOCO. If you have a favorite Avalanche player, they probably have a bobblehead of that guy over at FOCO. Go to FOCO.com. Use the DNVR code. Get 10% off your order today. They have licensed merchandise, apparel, all that good stuff. They've got bobbleheads. They've got, I don't think they have their Crocs in stock anymore. They used to have Avalanche Crocs. Hopefully they get those that. back I'm in. I'm so yeah. sad uh, to learn I didn't get any. It's all sorts of other cool stuff. Pins. I mentioned the apparel. Go check them out. Even if you're not an Avs fan, they've got whatever team it is that you're a fan of. Bobbleheads, all that good stuff. The Nuggets uh, championship ones. Actually, I think a lot of them are starting to sell out now that we're into August. So if you want a Nuggets championship bobblehead, get one while they're still available at FOCO.com with the DNVR code. Check them out today. And then, of course, support us. You can become a DNVR diehard today. Uh, that helps support us directly. Don't get me wrong. We love Super Chats. We love all that stuff. But... 
DMVR diehard goes straight to us. YouTube doesn't get a cut that way. And you're supporting our content. Like some of the stuff Megan has out there right now, just put out a Steinberg piece today with hey, him signing. Yeah. They got it done. They did it. I was beginning to wonder my information was bad. <laughs> Not bad info. You can go read up on the Steinberg stuff. Megan's piece is out there today. Go check it out if you have not already. Uh, you also had the piece the other day as well. Just an all-encompassing Eagles piece. Yep. So, you know, if you want to keep up with the Avs farm system, let me tell you, after last season, you might need to know some of those guys' Shucks, names. Right? You might, might want to be ready for some of that action. Um, yeah, those conversations about depth are not going away anytime soon. No kidding. Uh, and, of course... When you support us with the Die Hard, you get a bunch of amazing perks, including discounts here at the bar. You get a shirt every year for free, included with your membership. So you can pick out a cool one like this LOC one right here. Or maybe you're a fan of the stars. We got All Hail Kale. We got the 8-Bit McKinnon. We got the Landy with the Cup shirt. You name it. We got you covered. Check it out. Support us. Become a Die Hard today. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Megan... If you got the dark years on lock over there, I'll, I'll let you take a few since I had the top five list. You know, this isn't really peak dark years, but it's the game five Nashville guts all oh, over yes. the place game. Okay, that was number six on my list, Excellent. to be Excellent. clear. Excellent. And it, it's just, you know, I love an underdog story and for the Avs to have had that first round to begin with and in the fashion that they did was... I keep calling everything a turning point, but it just was exciting to see them get there and compete against Central Division national champs. I mean, I think it's worth bringing up because it's a lot easier to look back today and be like, oh, this was the turning point. In the moment when you were living through those seasons, it did feel like every one of those was like, oh, this is the turn. This is, they're finally there. They finally made it. And all, whether it be game five in Nashville, whether it be, the series against Minnesota, pick your era of hockey, whichever one. At the time, it felt like a turning point, whether it ended up being one or not. And, yeah, I mean, obviously, we now know that that one kind of was a turning point. So, Yeah, spoiler alert, right? In hindsight, <laughs> it's a lot easier to see it that You've way. You've been in a coma for the last five years. <laughs> but I agree. I mean, it, a team that was not fully constructed like it is in more recent years, but still had so many flashes of not just how good it was at the top, but the commitment that team had top to bottom down the into the depth. Of the group. Yeah. And it was necessary for them to have short-term memory when it came to some of the difficult playoff exits that would follow until they were finally able to make it to the end. It was required of them to have that heart, and I think a fabric of their DNA in the team that they are today. Yep. 100% agree. It's uh, it cannot be understated how important those experiences are for any hockey team that goes on to be successful because you have to learn the right lessons from those situations if you want to take the next step as a, as a team not, not even just individual players but having experienced that, how to move on from it, how to get better, how to take that next step as an organization. And the Avs obviously did that, so easy dubs. Well, and they have lessons to take away from the Seattle Game 7 exit, because by my account, 
they should have won. There were a lot of unfortunate circumstances working against them. I don't know how much further they could have gotten past that point. Uh, yeah, yeah. But from my view of things, they were capable of beating Seattle in the end. Absolutely. And there were points where they didn't deserve to, but they, in totality, fought for that right, and that's why it was disappointing. And I hope then they take away the right things to channel that into something productive next year. Yeah, and look... There's no secrets. They already know they're going to be facing next year without Landis God. Guess what? They just got to experience a playoff series without him. Hopefully they uh, adjust and are ready for it next time a little bit more. Uh, I'll do a couple of throwbacks here. I was a little bit young, so forgive me, older Avalanche fans. I don't remember everything to a T in the, in the 90s era, but obviously Krupp's game-winning goal in 96 and triple overtime is... Unbelievable. The 01 Cup. Uh, look, many people consider Raymond Bork lifting the cup one of the greatest moments ever in Stanley Cup history, let alone the Avalanche. It certainly shaped my childhood in a lot of ways. Um, falling in love with the sport of hockey and realizing it's the best sport in the world. And if not, you're wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, but there are, there are millions of other moments you can go into. Chris Jury's clutch levels in the playoffs over multiple seasons while he was here. Um, the Peter Forsberg game against Florida where they were, what was it, 7-2 or something? Or was, I don't know. Avs won 7-5 after being way down in that game because Peter Forsberg's just better than you. Uh, yeah. It's they're, the Rob Blake flip pass to Forsberg as well. Very common highlight you see out there. I, I could go on for, for years about the random plays I remember as a child, but if you experienced them, you would know them probably better than I do. And if you didn't experience them, well, you've got your own memories made now with the, with the modern avalanche. Megan, you started falling in 2008. For a long time, I was a big fan of Matt Duchesne. Obviously, the, the shootout to get them into the playoffs. 2010. Yeah, was it 29, 2010? I, I forget the exact year, but that one was always fun. Obviously, Matt Duchesne, not as well-liked in the fan base these days, but it is what it is. Give me someone more positive to talk about. From that era, specifically? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> it's interesting, because... There's so many things I remember that weren't specifically gameplay, like the bang-bang dance between yeah, Stasny, no, that's a good call. Duchesne, that's a good call. and similarly, the O'Reilly running up and down the Pepsi Center stairs after losses. Not necessarily a positive memory, but there was a point in time where that's how the van fan base viewed O'Reilly and yep. why he endeared himself to Colorado so much. And as a result, you know, as someone who was a fan at that time, I appreciated those types of things. The hard work. The hard work. I hated the, the photos, though, of him in his stall after some yeah. difficult losses. I still don't like that type of photo, generally speaking. But sure. that was always something I appreciated about O'Reilly and his time in Colorado. <laughs> I The Landeskog flu game is one that somebody in Landeskog the chat said, brought yeah. up. And that is also just another memory of the heart that some of these players have had in this last decade. It's, it's funny because like you learn these weird quirky stats when you're a fan or you cover a team for a long time and 
there was a good three years there in the in the 2010s where the Avs didn't have a hat trick at all, which now is like unfathomable. They get like three a year at least now. So one of these things that I like to bring up in hockey and, and part of what endears sports to people, the bad times make the good times that much better. You have to go through the, the downs to experience the ups sometimes. And it makes you appreciate it all a whole lot more. It's, it's interesting because there are, everyone has their own experiences about how hockey has affected their life beyond the game, whether it's friends they've made along the way or, or a way that becoming part of a fan base has changed something about their life. And I can't tell you what your favorite memory is out there, but I, every fan I've ever talked to is like, oh yeah, this one thing really did this for me and it helped me do that or the other thing. And, and that's where, I, I, it, it's hard to understate how important sports can be to people. Not just because, hey, we want the team to win, but because it becomes part of your life. I don't know, I don't have a good way to say it. I'm sorry, I'm not eloquent enough. No, I think it's pretty succinct and relatable to everyone who's a fan of hockey because it's something I think is common among, I call it hockey people because I feel like the way that people appreciate hockey really varies. You can exist as a fan, but you can also exist as so many things beyond just a fan and that can be your relationship to hockey. And what I found is all hockey people have this in common it, rare, it rarely is a passive interest for them. It's something that has such a deep hold over their heart, not necessarily in an unhealthy way, just it's a, it's a hard sport to love passively. It really yeah. does have a, a profound impact it has on me. It's why my path brought me here. <laughs> and it's unconventional to say the least. You know, no one in my family watched or played hockey growing up, but there's a reason I'm here and all hockey people are here. There you go. I Amen, think, sister. What's that? Amen, sister. <laughs> I, I don't think any of our paths here are really super conventional when it comes to hockey. That's a great point. You hooked us. You got us. Yeah, I guess. you got us. Do you uh, guys have a favorite professional moment? Like, I know vaguely brought up, like, when you and AJ and uh, Micah were, like, group hugging upstairs yeah, of course. after the game. So that, like, hard to beat that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, beyond that, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to separate favorite professional moments because I'm stupid and this is my dream job and I, I feel like half the time I'm still a fan. And I, it's weird to say because I feel like I do a decent job of removing my bias when I have to analyze the team and things like that, but I, we still go through the highs and lows with the team. We still experience all of those things the same way. So, I, you know, it, it's impossible to top the moments like a, a, a cup win or the Landeskog overtime winner. The, the drubbing of Calgary was uh, my first real experience in covering the team professionally. Uh, my first year covering it with DNVR was the COVID year, so that ended up being the weird Arizona Dallas bubble thing. But I 
it's hard for me to pick one moment since starting to do this professionally because I love all of it. It's I literally wouldn't change a thing for the world. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many. I think the ones that have stood out to me have been the ones that have been most affirming of me in this space to have this job as an opportunity I didn't expect to get. So I'm always grateful for the fact that I get the chance to do this. And the first time that Jared Bednar or Chris McFarland addressed me by first name in a presser is pretty impressive to me. It stands out. I'll never forget it because I felt so affirmed in this space by people that I respect tremendously. And I don't know if I'll ever forget that. Uh, shout out Eric Johnson, by the way. Uh, first guy, like first practice I went into with AJ he introduced me to him is like, hey, this is Nathan. And to this day, he calls me Nathan. <laughs> Might be like him and my parents might be the only people on this planet that call me Nathan. Shadow Eric Johnson. <laughs> I love that. I remember he had been gone for a while and he came back and he knew Jesse got married and he's, he's asking him about the wedding. And I just thought, one, this is a guy that's very plugged in and he's definitely aware of way more than he leads on because yeah. he was not even physically around and <laughs> was aware that this had happened. So... Shout out Eric Johnson and his social awareness. Way to go, EJ. Too bad you're banished to Buffalo. I'm no, sorry. <laughs> he's still here for now. You should go to Family Sports. And <laughs> I'm sure he's see banging See if you get around. a hey, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'll stick with Rudo. <laughs> uh, we got a couple Super Chats, but do you have any more memories you wanted to touch on? All right, no. perfect. Let's get to the Super Chats. $5 from Enrique, who's sitting literally six feet away from us. Uh, sure do miss AJ. Did everyone miss AJ a happy birthday? Yes, happy birthday to AJ. It was yesterday. He will be back on the pod soon. I promise. Canada was too cool for him, so he had to leave. Uh, and then $2 from Vaguely Sober, who says, thank you, everyone, with the heart. Much appreciated, Vaguely. Always here hanging out with us. Yeah, I'm sure I missed a million things that are people like, what about this memory or this moment? I'm sure. Post them all in the comments once the show ends because that's the beauty of sports is there's so many moments that people appreciate. There you go. You can do it. Once the video ends, you'll be able to put them in the comments too. I'll run through later and, and like all of them because I love you all. Uh, we appreciate all of you. And since we're here at the bar, you might as well go get yourself a Breck Brew. That's what I'm going to do after the show. Uh, you can find yours at your local liquor store anywhere in the 50 United States. Use the Breck Beer Locator online at breckbrew.com. And, yeah, have a great time. Have a great weekend. We are out of here for this week. We will be back Monday. We will be going live at 2.30 p.m. 2 Mountain. Megan's got to go interview some DU kids because that's what she does. <laughs> Uh, no, it should be good. I'm probably going to talk to Logan O'Connor, it sounds like. Yeah. So there you go. We'll have some Logan O'Connor info for you on Monday's show. Uh, we appreciate you all again. We're going to get out of here. Have a good weekend, and we will see you Monday.